Hey, fam. Hi. Oh, it's one of my favorite days where we get to drop an episode from the Patreon in the regular Oh, feed. yeah, surprise. <laughs> Happy whatever day it is. Fam, this is, so this is episode one of a series that we just did a little while back called Manifesto of a Serial Killer. Ugh. This is one of the best documentary series I think we've ever covered. Yeah, very Let the Women Do the Work. It's about the sister of a victim who really, like, gets this story told. Yes. Um, And it's, like, some of the most vile, horrible stuff we've ever covered, but the story is really unbelievable. It's the story of two serial killers, Charles Ng and Richard Lake, mm-hmm. and they are two of the most prolific serial killers in American history, and I had never heard of either of them. I never heard of this case at all. The whole thing is uh, Richard Lake like created a video diary and of what he was doing and why. In like this hell cabin, this and, like nightmare stuff of nightmares. I mean, even the cops like decades later can't talk about it without yes, lying. It's yes. really intense. It's a very crazy mystery. The, the documentary is really well done. There are twists and turns and shocks and surprises all along the way. Oh boy. It is wild. So yeah. enjoy episode one right here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll say a quick goodbye on the way out. Yeah. I do feel the need to explain as to why I would want to imprison and, in fact, enslave a young woman. This unbelievable story all started with the disappearance of a man named Paul Costner. It is probably the most gruesome, violent investigation in the history of our state. As the investigators were trying to find Paul Costner, they're starting to find bodies everywhere. They're finding people in trenches. And then they find Leonard Lake's manifesto. The video sent chills up my spine. Leonard Lake and Charles Ng were the most deadly pair of serial killers in California history. So we get the on-screen text right at the top. It says, in 1985, while searching for a missing person, San Francisco police are led to a remote cabin. They discover two videotapes and a serial killer's manifesto. Now, the first thing, I was like, this music is so over the top, but yes. it also is really terrifying. Yes. Like, it matches the, like, it yeah. matches, like, the terror yeah, 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 of yeah, what's yeah. actually happening here. But at first, I'm like, it's, pipe down this documentary. And then I'm like, no, 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 no it's yeah. valid. It totally it works. It is like horror movie music, though. It's yeah. very effective. So we see this guy on tape. This is the killer. This is, like, one of the serial killers. Yeah, this piece of shit sitting in a lazy boy recliner with his feet up. And I'm like, you're trying to tell me he's 38. 38 years old. I know. There's like that Archie Bunker was like 42 or something. Like, I'm telling you, there's this thing going around Facebook that I've been seeing where like all these act, like Mrs. Roper was like 41. Okay. (laughs) This is not that. No. This is a guy who's like, when you're such a piece of shit, your body's like, well, I know. I might as well catch up to you. He is disgusting. He's very hard to look at. But we're, we're, okay, so this is my big question. We're in Los Angeles. We meet Todd Howe mm-hmm. and his lower third is filmmaker. Yeah. I'm assuming he's the filmmaker of this. Um, he Is he like the director of this thing? He's our host and narrator. Well, because I'm like, I thought that he was like doing a Werner Herzog thing where he like made himself a talking head in his own movie. No, I think he no. Okay. I think he maybe brought this to the people who are making it. Okay. But okay. I don't think this is like his thing. All right, because he definitely like has lines down the road that are scripted that he wants us to feel like aren't scripted. Unless I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. Well, we could easily We could just up. look it up. I have a spaceship in my back pocket, but I'm choosing to not use it. We'll get to that another time. Okay. As a documentary filmmaker, I'm fascinated by true crime and the mystery and suspense of how they unravel. I came across this murder case four years ago 
and it had more twists and turns than any work of fiction. So he like goes into his like personal collection and he's got the videotape of this fucking serial killer from the cabin. Not only does he have the VHS tape, he's got like a VCR to play it on. I know. I was like, whoa. I guess when you're one of those like film guys. I, yeah. Oh God. You're not getting rid of your no, VHS player just in case. Your but are VCR. you worried you're gonna like stick it in? And it's gonna like rip the tape and that's gonna be that. Maybe. You yeah. Know? Or if it's like a. This is so out of a horror movie that it feels like that tape actually has like evil connected uh-huh. to it. Are you old enough that you never had a VCR? No, of course I had a you VCR. Did, oh, you had a oh VCR. yeah, yeah. I meant young enough. What? No, I meant, are you young enough that you never had a VCR? Oh, no, I'm old enough that I had a VCR. <laughs> you can say it. Uh, no, of course. So this guy, it's Leonard Lake is the guy on the tape, right? He's like yeah. an evil, heinous person. On the tape, the guy is saying, anyone who wants to know why I'd want to imprison and enslave young women, you just have to look at me? Like, this... Like, that's yeah, no, gonna... you look like an incel, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. shit. That's what we're going to learn about this guy. He was imprisoning and enslaving women in his, like, remote... Ca- it, it's, a, it's a horror movie. It's a horror movie. Oh, my God. Um, But this story really starts with the disappearance of Paul Cosner. Yes. And we're here with Sharon Salito, Paul's sister. She's a hero. She's let the she women is... do the work times a million. I'm telling you, if we were ever doing that again, I would yeah. beg to get her on an episode because she's incredible. Like, if not for her, we would not be here. Yep. She kept this case going. Yep. Um, so it's San Francisco, California. California in 1984, Paul was a car dealer. Yeah, kind of. Kind I of. feel like he was like a car flipper. He was like putting ads in the San Francisco Chronicle yeah. about a car that he had for sale. And we see the ad. Yeah. And you know how, I guess, um, in like one ads, there was like a little section. And yeah. it was like this Honda and this Honda, but it was called the Honda Hotline. Stop was it. the section of the oh this like one ad thing. So it's like all of these Hondas that are for sale and he's selling this orange and gold 1980 Honda Prelude. I all I can think about whenever anybody says the San Francisco Chronicle is Zodiac Killer. Zodiac. Yeah, like yeah. I'm like oh they did other things they did, than run they, the they cipher. They sure did That's... before during and after. <laughs> um but this is wild that we have the actual ad. It's just so crazy. Well, like we, that, we that, have a lot have of that so stuff. Much. Sharon, the sister, says he got a lot of calls on the car. He thought it was going to be a good, quick deal. We jump to October 31st, 1984. It's Halloween day. We hear the actual outgoing recording of Paul's like outgoing answering machine message. Yeah. All right, this is Paul. Leave your name and number. I'm calling in regard to the 1980 Honda Prelude sale. We hear the fucking message from the killer calling to inquire about the car. Yeah. And this guy calls and he wants to come over and take the car for a test drive. And he does exactly that. And he tells Paul he wants to buy the car. And now it's November 2nd. So it's two days later. And Sharon, like she talks to her brother, Paul, in the morning. Paul says, I think I sold the car. She says, to who? And he says, some weird guy. Some weird guy. And she says, okay, good, but just be careful. So, just like, oh, God. So the next day, Paul's girlfriend, Marilyn, calls Sharon, the sister. They're all really close. You get the sense that they all, like, Paul really loves his girlfriend, and his girlfriend really loves him, and they all are close with Sharon. Well, we're going to learn that, like, Sharon and Paul were very unusually close brother and sister. Yeah, yeah. And also, Marilyn, the girlfriend, and Paul live in the same, like, little apartment building. But not the same apartment not yet. just yet but just yet, yet they yeah, were yeah. gonna get there uh, so marilyn is the girlfriend and she and paul had a date last night they cooked dinner and they watched a movie so marilyn the girlfriend tells the sister sharon yeah paul and i had these plans we were gonna have like a date night we were gonna make dinner and watch a movie and paul didn't show up and i haven't heard from him and this is not like paul at all and sharon is saying there must be some explanation paul would never just like not show like he loved his girlfriend yeah he and he's was, also like, a responsible yeah. guy like he wouldn't do that and no. this is where we get paul's backstory yeah and like sharon the sister is saying that like she and paul grew up in an ohio farm country and they didn't know their father and paul was like much more than just a big brother he was her protector and like the father she never knew right kind 
kind of like a father figure as well as a brother. Like, it sounds like they were really all each other had. And, like, they say he was witty and very loving and kind. And, like, this is where she says how much she he loved Marilyn, the girlfriend. And she, Marilyn didn't know it, but he was about to propose to her. Yeah, yeah. And so the big question is, like, what the hell happened to Paul? Yeah. There are no leads. No one has any idea. This isn't like him. But everyone is calling him. And we have these actual recordings. And they sound amazing. I'm like, who? Like, you know Eric Marcus, who was in the Matthew Shepard documentary, yeah, yeah, yeah. who, like, is my friend. He's, like, the gay historian. Yeah. He did all these recordings, like, in the early 80s of these, like, gay civil rights heroes. But he bought, like, the top-of-the-line audio equipment because he knew they'd be valuable recordings in the future. Yeah. So they sound amazing, even though they recorded wow. 40 years ago. Yeah. That's what these voice sound like. Yeah, and I don't know what the quality was, but maybe Paul, like, was kind of a tech guy, too, but I know yeah. Sharon took excellent care of these, because I know a little bit about Sharon in these first five minutes, yeah. but she's the type of person who's going to take care of everything yeah. to get to the bottom of this case. Hi, Paul, it's Sharon. Where are you? Call me as soon as you get in, okay? Paul, this is Marilyn. I hope everything's all right. I'm kind of worried. Your sister again. Uh, please call. And so Marilyn and Paul lived in the same building, but different apartments, yeah. right? So the Which the, I'm like, what came first? Like, did they meet because they lived in the same I'm building? Not, yeah. Or did they, like, want to be in the same building, but not in the same apartment, so they moved to the same building I think together? They, I think they met because they were neighbors. Okay. That's what I'm going Let's with. go with that. I know nothing about nothing, <laughs> but that's... <laughs> you know everything about everything. You're I, a witch and I love you. If I were to guess? Yeah. <laughs> because, of, yeah, I, okay, anyway. Yeah. So the landlady lets Marilyn and Sharon into Paul's apartment. Now, I gotta say, this is a very convenient bonus to them living in the same building in a small building because like normally that wouldn't happen and maybe it was like the 80s and maybe it was a different time or whatever but like you need warrants and the police and all that shit they know their landlady I think this is very good and I think Sharon's gonna get shit done (laughs) that's true (laughs) and Marilyn I'm sure knew the landlady and they were a couple you know and what are you gonna do who's gonna say no like to Sharon not me or a landlady being like I haven't heard from my boyfriend in 24 hours and this is fucking weird you let them in 100% right would I be wrong to let them in I mean it could be a crime scene that's why you wouldn't let them in but like I I said that in a really snippy way I didn't mean to like it could be a crime scene Jillian well it could be I didn't think about that I'm I'm all emotional over here (laughs) so I did not think about the rational my emotional woman friend okay there I am and look at my small arms. So they're in the apartment, right? And Sharon, yeah. the sister's like, all right, it's very weird because it's very neat. And, and she's like, I don't like it. She focuses on the vacuuming. She's like, he didn't vacuum like that. I didn't vacuum like that. It was like somebody was trying to cover something up. Right. We see photos because Sharon smartly is taking pictures mm-hmm. and we have them to this day. Yep. We looked in the hall closet where Paul kept his guns and we couldn't find the thirty-eight caliber revolver or his twenty-two Derringer. The ammo was there, but the guns were gone. Now, none of those words make any difference to me, but Same. I was like, Sharon looks like a woman who knows her way around a gun they rack. They grew up in, in Ohio? In, like, farm country, Ohio, yeah. yeah. A gun is rack? That, like is that... Wayne's World? Ah, gun rack. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> when Wayne's girlfriend, um, he keeps breaking up with his girlfriend, but she, Stacy, and she's just, like, not dealing with the breakup. She's just, like, not going to do it. Uh-huh. So she gets him a gun rack for his anniversary, <laughs> and he's like, a gun rack? I don't even know an ah gun, let alone many guns that would necessitate an entire rack. What am I going to do with a gun rack? And she goes, you don't like it? Fine. If you're not careful, Wayne, you're going to lose me. And he's like, it's Lara Flynn Boyle. I was going to say, it's Lara Flynn Boyle. I love her. He's like, I already lost you. We broke up. You mental? But whenever I hear gun rack, I'm right in Wayne's world. Oh, my God. 
Well, anyway, or, the ammo Aurora. the ammo was there, but the guns were gone. And Paul's car is also missing. Yeah, and that's where Sharon is like connecting the dots. She's like, wait, the car that he was selling is gone. The mm. guns are gone. He said he sold the car to some weird guy. Like, this all has to be connected. Right. So Sharon calls the cops, and they are immediately fucking horrible to her. I mean, it's really awful. She's told you can't report somebody missing for 24 hours. You got to come and do it in person. And she goes down there. And she's like, okay, fine, whatever. Like, no compassion, no anything, no warmth. I mean, the police say, like, how old is your brother? And she says 39. And I'm not going to say what they say, but they imply that he's, like, out drunk seeing a sex worker, and they're not going to look for him. They say, we don't look for anybody who's over the age of six. And Sharon is coming in. Remember, Sharon is coming in to report. Like, she's going through something terrible. Yes. And this is how the cops treat her. And she goes, yeah, well, it's not my bike. It's my brother. Like, he's a human person. What? Because the cop is trying to talk her out of filing a missing person report. She's like, I want to file a missing. And he's like, well, if you must. We're talking about a police department that was dealing with 500 missing persons cases per month. They were dealing with the drug issues, the gang issues, and they just don't have the manpower and the people power in order to investigate all those cases. 500 missing persons cases per month. Unbelievable. That and is, what is this, 1980? Yes. That is fucking... Oh, 84. Huh. Whatever so, year it is. Matter. Like, 500 missing people a month? I just went, what the hell is going on, San Francisco? So instead of dealing with it, they're just trying to deter yeah. Sharon from reporting her missing brother. We gotta do better. I mean, we gotta, I mean, like, obviously. we gotta hire a billion people to yeah, find out. I hate people. that guy. What is going on? Her like yeah. That. Horrible. Yeah. So Sharon's like, okay, you have no idea who you're dealing with. I'm Sharon and yeah. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. So she does. She starts calling around. She's going to his apartment every single day. She's collecting what she needs. She's taking the photos. I mean, he is missing. She also like, there's a bunch of messages on the machine for people who were interested in the car. She calls each one of them back because these are the people. It's got to be one of these people. Exactly. Right. So she calls them all back to see if they made an appointment and none of them have. And now Paul's been missing for seven days and Sharon once again goes over to his house and she sees a new message on his answering machine. Yeah, this is crazy. We hear the actual message. Yeah. Paul is going to be dead. And that was the entire message. Yeah. And, and Sharon's like, I could barely breathe. She collapses because, like, she's saying it wasn't a demand. It wasn't like, he's going to be dead unless you give me a million dollars. Which you know Sharon could have raised. Right. She, you know? Right. But, there, yeah, it was just like, Paul's going to be dead. Like, yeah. what? And that is so chilling. Like, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. No. And there's, you know, that, that's that, the feeling. I immediately go to, like, oh, my God, is he alive right now? Is uh-huh. he suffering? Is 100%. he hungry? Is he cold? Like, what? Yeah. You know? So Sharon immediately calls the cops again. And yeah. she calls the missing persons division. And she's like, maybe, I mean, now they have to take this case more seriously, right? Well, it's a sign to uh, San Francisco's missing persons inspectors, Irene Brunn and Tom Eisenman. These are the grumpiest looking headshots. Like, for some reason, these two got, like, their headshots taken. And we see them kind of throughout. Because I'm assuming they're both dead now. Yeah, I don't know. We don't meet Irene. But there's one <laughs> photo on, of her. Irene. <laughs> there's one photo of her, and it looks like a mugshot. I, it looks like and I'm sure it was her ID. Yes, Those ID yes, photos are uh, never no. good. <laughs> and, you know, like, why are you calling me away to get my picture taken? I just want to look for the missing people. Like, right. you know Irene wants And, yes, I know it's come on Eileen. I, I know that. But you know Irene just wants to do the work. She does not care about getting her picture taken, but it shows. It's just... And the same thing with the other guy, Tom. Like, it's not any It's the only photos they have. Yes. And and then it makes me think, like, oh, no, do we hate them? Why is there only one photo? Like, why aren't they here? I'm assuming that, like, it was 1984. It's now 2023. I can't do that math, but it's a lot of years later. It's a lot of years later. Yeah. So these two, they search the apartment. They don't find anything. And the case stalls yet again. And Sharon will not be stopped. 
Someone describes her as a one-woman police agency. I'm just saying, like, why are we saying there's no leads? Like, this guy was selling a car. He said he sold it to a weird guy. There's a million messages on the right. answer. Like, what do you say? Irene, of course there's leads. And also someone, like, it's still a scary thing. Paul is going to be dead. Yes. Like, let's, I mean. I'm like, just call every person back on the answering machine and you'll find the guy. I do, Why am I like, solving this crime? I don't know. You know what I mean? really could have used you in 1984. In 1984, I was three. <laughs> So Sharon, again, becomes a one-woman police agency. She's putting up flyers everywhere. She's offering yeah. a $10,000 reward. She's going to hospitals and morgues. At the beginning, I was going in a hundred different directions thinking I was going to get a lead. I was going to get some information. I had been calling the TV stations trying to get somebody to do a story about Paul's disappearance. The San Francisco police are asking for help tonight in their search for a man who placed a newspaper advertisement to sell his 1980 Honda. She's going on multiple stations talking about Paul. She's yeah. really doing Which everything. Is, it's amazing to see like her back then because like we see her now. She's yeah. like tough, a tough lady now. But like to see what she looked like when she was like in her twenties or yeah. whatever. And like and just being told no, she's like, oh fuck that. Like yeah. uh, I don't think so. She says there is no giving up. Paul Paul was my life. Of course. Like, and because she says, like, it, months are going by and people in her life are saying, like, you got to move on. You got to give up. You got to move get... on. And I'm like, who are these monsters that are saying, like, forget about your brother who's only been missing three months? Yeah, like, so sorry. There's not a lot of information. Like, let's just move, let's like, just move, move on. What, what move is on. moving on? Can you? She thinks he's, like, in a fucking basement somewhere. Like, how do you just stop looking? How do you go to sleep at night? How do you wake up in the morning? How do you just, like, put this out of your head? That's impossible. The Fred Murray of it all. He's, like, searching the woods every yes. day until he fucking dies. It's impossible to just move on. Yeah. Even if they were trying to just tell her that maybe it was like unhealthy for her to do this, but to assume that she could just like move on from this yeah. and not just like learn to live with it and then navigate the world with this horrible loss I know. in her and life. And I'm like, is it her friends telling her that? Like Sharon, like, I be, doubt you, it. You're friends with us now, Sharon. Yeah. You don't need those people. I, yeah, I doubt it. But suddenly, after months and months and months of no movement and Sharon yeah. going on the news and doing all this stuff, there's a new lead. And this is where we learn about the Dubs family. Yeah. So the Dubs family disappeared three months before Paul vanished. It's Harvey and Deborah are the parents. They were last seen on the evening of July 26th. The next day, the couple, uh, Harvey and Deborah, and their 18-month-old baby vanished. All three of them. Three months before Paul. And everyone is just saying, like, entire families don't go missing. That is not a thing. I knew there had to be a connection. So I called Deborah Dubs' father. He told me that somebody had answered the ad, stolen the equipment, and the whole family had disappeared. And I said, well, don't you think that it has to be tied in together? And he said, yes, it surely did. Barry in the lead here, but like Harvey was always placing ads in the Chronicle. Yes. Always. Like yes. he was renting out video equipment. So Sharon's like the Chronicle ads. Are you kidding? I'm There's like, got to be a connection. All there. I can all I can see is the cipher, the Zodiac cipher. Know, right? We got to make room for the other ads. Like, are you kidding? So that's when she was like, wait, this guy was also putting ads and doing yeah. business in the Chronicle. Like, no way. This has to be a connection. Then, yes, the dad confirms that. Yeah. And we learned. So July 25th, 1984 is the day the Dubs family disappears. And we learned from a friend that Deborah was on the phone with a friend of hers named Karen. Yeah. And she was talking about how there's like a weird guy that they're going to meet that night who wants to rent some of the equipment. And while she's on the phone with Karen, the doorbell rings and she's like, oh, that must be him. And then no one ever sees them again. Now, remember how Sharon said that Paul described the guy who bought the car as weird? Yeah, I'm going to like sell this car to this weird guy and then I'm going to be back for my date. And now Deborah is telling her friend, yeah, we're going to meet some weirdos renting, who's the, equipment. renting the equipment and I'll talk to you later. Yeah. 
It's weird. Like, what is he doing to be presenting as so weird to everybody? Right. And with the Chronicle, like, there's yeah. something, something's here. So the best friend, Karen, the best friend's husband goes over at the house to check on the Dubs family. Yeah. And because no one could get a hold of the family. Right. And Karen's like, I was just on the phone with her, but she said she was going to meet this guy. And then the doorbell rang. And it was like, weird. Can you please go over and check yeah. it out? Send the husband. Do right. not go yourself, Karen. Send your husband. So here's what the husband finds. Yeah. There's a key in the door, which is also suspicious. Yep. So he lets himself in. The house has been totally looted. He calls 911 right away, and the cops show up. And who shows up? Irene. The same Come woman. Come on, Irene. <laughs> the same woman who's on Paul's case, the yes. one who has one photo and it looks like a mugshot. But she's a cop. Poor Irene. I know. <laughs> like, probably the only lady in that part of the fort. Like, it was not, her life was it's, not easy. No, no, no. Irene, I'm not giving you shit. I'm I think you, you worked no hard on this. No one looks good in your ID. No. Oh, my Nobody. God. Nobody. Well, take a look at my license. Like, Are you that's getting? what I mean. Oh, my God. Nobody looks good in those photos. I feel like there's been one good picture of me in my entire life. Which one is it? I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just assuming. I'm hoping there was one. <laughs> Of I can't think of what it is, but oh I'm hoping. God. Inspector Irene Brunt is called to come into the house. As soon as she gets in there, she starts to recognize something is wrong here. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. There's dirty dishes in the sink. There's dirty diapers. There's missing items. Videotapes. Video equipment. She already starts to suspect foul play is involved with this particular disappearance. There are missing items like video cameras and videotapes. You have to remember, in like in 1984, that shit was rare and expensive and enormous. And enormous. Like we have our phones now, but like video yeah. equipment in 1984 was like cumbersome and huge and not convenient. No, I remember like when JFK, like the JFK assassination, and then like Jack Ruby got shot in that underground parking garage. Yeah. And you see like the news cameras there, like live filming it, <laughs> and they're so big that they're you big. have to stand. They're on wheels. They're on wheels. Like that's what I'm imagining. Like this video equipment is like. You said that as if you were there. I know. <laughs> in my your, brain, your I was tone, there. I was like, no. Jack Ruby killed Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. He walks right up to him and shoots him. And like, were, I can see and it. And I, I had like, to scoot out of the way from this <laughs> enormous camera that was on wheels. Me and the babushka lady were like, we got to go babushka. see this. I love my babushka. You love her. But Irene, who back at the scene, she inventories everything like in the house that's missing. And somehow was able to get the serial numbers for like the missing equipment, mm -hmm. which is important to remember. And I'm like, how, like from the user manual or something? There's always like a sticker underneath something. But like if it's missing, wouldn't the sticker be on the thing? Yes. Okay. <laughs> then I don't know. Then I can't I'm help just you. Like, how'd you get the serial numbers? We don't know. Or maybe if there's like a stand and the guy took the camera but left the stand, uh -huh. or maybe they can try to connect something in some way. I, I mean, don't I don't. I don't even know why we feel like we need to know how she did it. I we just no need idea. to know that she did do it. Okay, great. Good you know? for you. Come Irene. on, Irene. <laughs> so now we need. I just like it because it makes you laugh. You, you <laughs> it's really love that song. Come on, Irene. Do you know the name of that band? <laughs> The Indigo Girls? No, Dexie's Midnight Runners. Stop it. But I think- How do you know everything? It's a weird pop culture thing. My You're brain is very, very weird. You're but like, who doesn't know Come On Eileen? I know. But isn't, I think that's like drugs. They're talking like Dexie's Midnight Runners, like popping Dexie's on Wait, night. that's like a throwback to um, Black Beauties and Scotch. Yeah. Oh my God. There you go. Okay, great. Always comes back. <laughs> So we meet Barbara Speaker, and yep. she's a friend and neighbor of the Dubs family. And she has super, super valuable information. Yes. I heard the top lock and my neighbor's door locking. The very next day after the Dubs were reported missing, and then I heard footsteps coming down the stairs. And I leaned over and I looked, and there was this Asian man in his mid-20s, I'd say. 
and another man carrying something that seemed to be fairly heavy. And she runs out to talk to them because an entire family's missing. Yeah. And, so and, she thinks, and these people are taking their stuff. Right. So she's like, what the fuck? Yeah. So she <laughs> runs out to talk to them. Deborah Speaker has never cursed a day in her life, uh, Jillian. Barbara, yeah. But she's just like, well, she did today because yeah. she's like, maybe I what can get the to the bottom. Who the fuck is upstairs? I mean, she shouts at them. She's like, hey, do you guys know the Dubs? Like, have you seen my friends, the Dubs family? What's going and on? And why are you taking all their shit? And the guys don't answer. Answer, but what they do is they get into the Dubs family car yeah. and drive off. Like, and Barbara's like, not on my watch. Not on my Like These guys are not being smooth about this at all. No. Like, they're just like not wearing like nylon stockings over their faces. And just because you didn't say a word to Barbara, like right. she knows something. She, totally. Please. <laughs> so the Dubs family has been missing for two days. Yeah. And there's activity on their bank card. They're- I mean, these people are so stupid. They're like using it to take cash out of an ATM and then they use it at the Benihana near the airport. Benihana. Like, have some like, class. They're using Deb's fucking credit card at Benihana. Like, what is wrong with you people? But they're using the bank card. They're using the ATM card. They're taking money out of their Wells Fargo account and yeah. we see photos from the ATM cameras not bad for 1984. I gotta agree. They're like much better than actually some recent photos we've seen. I, well 100% but do you think that it was so early on in credit cards that you didn't know that you could get tracked that quickly? And not just their credit cards but every way they could use or yes. take money from this family they did. Credit Which, card, ATM and just their bank account. The thing that like that was just so dark and sad to me is that in order for them to know how to get cash from the ATM like they had to get them to tell them their PIN numbers. Oh, fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, ugh. Like, it's, ugh. it's terrible. But anyway, the people at the Benihana was an Asian man, a Caucasian man, and a Caucasian woman. Right. So at Benihana, like, oh my God. Like, they probably just killed these people and their baby. Yeah. And now they're celebrating they're at Benihana. Like, of all places to celebrate. My God. Just the worst. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Coming in hot for Benihana. Is it bad? <laughs> wow. Is it, I don't know. Wow. It's just like, is there not a Chili's? <laughs> a Hulahan's? Oh, whatever. A Bettigan's? Whatever. I don't know. Benny on a salad bar. Oh, my God. <laughs> 25. <laughs> I don't know. Of all the places to sell. Oh, my it's just God. just like. Oh, God. So it's August 27th, 1984, and the Dubs family has been missing for a month. Yeah. And this is when their car is found. I'm sorry. Their what? Their car. They actually refer to it as the Dubs family automobile. Oh, no. I thought of you. Patty Peterson. <laughs> you didn't even write it down. <laughs> yeah, no, I just said car. The I didn't Dubs even family hear. automobile is located. Yeah, in long-term parking. And that's never good. No. I've explained to you how I, they use this in The Sopranos. Yes. But it's just never good when someone we were, is missing and their car's in long-term parking. You explained it to me when we were at the airport and I was driving us to the airport and we were driving by long-term parking looking for the parking spot. I'm like, are we supposed to go to long-term parking? You're like, like, no! <laughs> <laughs> so now remember though all of this is happening three months before paul cosner yeah. even goes missing right so we have all of this information now we're jumping to november 14th 1985 which is two weeks after paul's disappearance and his sister sharon who just learned about the dubs family yeah she hears about this long-term parking thing i went to the airport parking lot just to see if paul's car was parked there too 
but it wasn't there. And I did the same thing in San Jose and the same thing in Oakland. And she also, this is so fucking badass, she learns that cops stop looking for cars, stolen cars, after 28 days. She learns about the hot sheet. Right. So the cops got a hot sheet looking for, like, it's a list of cars that they're looking for because they were connected to a robbery or, or they were stolen. stolen. Yeah, yeah. And so she just starts reporting Paul's car missing every 28 days. Because that's when it gets dropped off the sheet. So that it'll always be on the She's sheet so forever. smart. And oh it's like, God. I just picture her with, like, a little date book or just, like, totally. call, like, report. And, like, it is so fucking morbid and sad, but it's just, like, this is what she's doing. She is on top of it. Yes. You know? So, like, for someone to be like, you know, Sharon, you should really start to move on or there's not a lot of information uh-huh. here. No. Yes, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. plenty of information and Sharon's going to get to the bottom of it. Totally. So, Paul's missing for seven months. To the day. To the day. And something major happens. June 2nd, 1985. This is a little confusing. This is, <laughs> it's a little okay? confusing. You're right over there. Um, I think we can do it. I think we, I think we got it. We learn an event occurs that blows this case wide open. So we meet Daniel Wright. He's a police officer. He gets called out to a lumber. Now, we're about to deal with a lot of locations and items that I barely know what they are. Yeah. One of them is a lumber yard, mm-hmm. which is a place where they sell wood, mm-hmm. I think. Yes. He gets called out to a lumber yard where he's told an Asian male has stolen a vice, which is like a vice grip, I think. Yeah, it's this thing. It's a thing that holds something up. <laughs> She's place. showing me pictures of it. You <laughs> I Googled it. But you've seen it. If you ever had like a wood shop class, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's like it's a tool yes. that holds things in place while they're being worked on. Right. <laughs> but I Googled oh it because I need the imagery. Now, vi- it's spelled with an S. A vice is like drinking. It is? Yeah. V-I-S-E? Vi- yeah. Oh, I didn't. I did not spell it correctly. And so vice is like yeah. smoking or drinking right. or sex or whatever. <laughs> um, so, like, this cop is getting called out there because he's told that this Asian man has stolen this vice. And now, like, the Asian man has run off. So he, by the time the cop gets out there, the Asian man is gone. Yeah, so this guy walked into the hardware store, stole the vice, put it in a car, and then walked away from the car. Yes. So the cops are like, we're going to go search that car. I look over at the car. The trunk's open. I see the vice. I start to move things around. As I do so, I find a 22 Ruger automatic. And with the gun is a silencer. It was the first time I ever seen a silencer. This is like, wow, you know, this is the real deal. And I want to say everybody is appropriately fucking freaked out about the silencer. Right. Now, as they find the silencer, some other guy, he's like, no, 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 right, let yeah, me explain. Yeah, yeah. He comes running and he's like, officers, I know this looks bad. Leave it to the big white guy to come out and explain to everybody what's going on here. Mansplain the yeah. fuck out of it. So he's like, no, I know this. I know this looks horrible. I know this but looks weird. It, it actually looks totally fine. Once you know what happens, it's going to make super yeah, all yeah, the yeah, sense yeah. to you. Yeah. So he's like, let me explain. <laughs> My friend thought I paid for the vice. Yeah, yeah. So he took it to the car before I actually paid for it. So it was like a big misunderstanding, but I totally, totally paid for it. But he did run off. I can't explain that. Don't know where he is, where he went. And then he put it in the back of my car and left the yep. trunk open and there's that silencer there. Don't even look at the silencer. Let's be ooh, silent about the silencer. But total misunderstanding. I paid for it. He thought yeah, yeah. I didn't. He ran out and then bailed. And yep. now my friend's not here, but everything, nothing to see nothing here, Nothing to fellas. see here bunch at of, all. Bunch of good old boys in a parking lot, am I right? With a silencer and a gun, right? Come on, like the good old days, right? Anyway. But the thing that we have to tell you, that you, like, thank God for this. In California, a gun with a silencer is illegal under any circumstances. Thank God. So, like, this gun, they're fucked. This silencer fucked them all. So the cops are like, cool story, bro. Hey, what's your name? Yeah. And the guy says, oh, my name is Robin Scott Stapley. Yes. And then they check his ID. 
And so they handcuff him because they're like, you got the silencer. You have this weird vice story. And we don't know if you have any more weapons. So we're handcuffing you. On you. Exactly. So they run the license plate and the car comes back to a man named Lonnie Bond. So they say to the guy, hey, 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 bro, whose car is this? And he says, oh, it belongs to my neighbor, Lonnie Bond. So the cops are like, all right, that checks out. This car like didn't come back that it's connected to any robbery or was stolen. Because they're like, wait, where's Lonnie now? Right. And the guy's like, oh, he's up in the hills. And the cops are like, awesome, okay, dude. Fine, you have great. the best stories. Yeah, the best. Oh, my God. We're going to keep you in those handcuffs for a little while longer, just, but you got great stories. Just like the best explanations, know. you know? <laughs> so the cop explains, and like the cop's like, well, what was I supposed to do, though? Like, the name wasn't related to a missing person. It all yeah. sounded legit. And I'm like, but what about the silencer? Yeah. What about the illegal silencer? Well, they run the serial number on the gun and it comes back to Robert Scott Stapley and so it is the guy who just said he is Robert Scott Stapley this is his gun it's an illegal gun they arrest him and the cops are like well now we got a problem now we gotcha so they arrest this guy and they take him down to the station to question him in the meantime Officer Wright stayed with the car I ran the VIN and the car came back to a missing person by the name of Paul Cosner. So this is so interesting because Sharon just told us about the hot sheet. Yes. That gets updated every 28 days. Oh my days. God, right. So like they also could have just looked to see if this car matches one of the ones that were stolen. I mean, the VIN number works too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the car that this guy was driving was a fucking missing car. Right. And Sharon made sure that they knew that. Oh my God. I mean, let the women do the fucking so work. So hopefully they would have actually looked and been yeah. like, this guy's suspicious and he's not Lonnie, but he's driving Lonnie's car and he has a silencer. Also like that let's, guy ran away with the vice and he's got a silencer. Like, like oh my what? God. Yeah. Like, let's check the hot sheet. Yep. They didn't do that for whatever reason, or even if they, but still the point is Sharon is thinking 10 steps ahead. She's amazing. So they call Sharon and they say like, Sharon girl, sit down. We found Paul's car. Right. She collapses and she's like, is Paul in the car? Is he with the car? Oh my God. And they're like, no, we don't know where Paul is. And she collapses and she just wants answers. So now we're down at the police station with this guy from the lumber yard, this Robin Stapley guy or whatever. We learn his real name is Leonard Lake. Yeah. Right. And he says he's a fugitive. A background check on him shows that he was a former Marine who'd been arrested by the FBI on 17 counts of felony weapons charges. Yep. This is a bad dude. Yep. This is why he's got the gun with the silencer. He skipped bail on those charges, and he's been a fugitive ever since. And he has a partner. His partner is Charles Ng. He stole yeah. weapons from an armory. He's the Asian guy that we've seen a couple of times now. The guy right. with the vice and the one that the upstairs neighbor saw leaving the yeah, house. Yeah, this which, Asian and white guy, it's yeah, all the same Asian and white guy. Exactly. So Charles Ng served three years in prison for stealing these weapons. And Charles... Charles Ng is missing because remember he stole the vice, dropped it in the backseat of the car or whatever yes. and bailed. And so they uh, now that we know this guy's name is Lake, they ask him, where can we find Mr. Ng? And Lake says, oh, he's headed to the home of my ex-wife. Yeah. Her name is, how do you say her name? Clara Lynn. Clara, I mean, my That's God. Very annoying. Pick, pick an L and go with it, right? <laughs> Clara Lynn. Unless you're Clara Lynn and you're listening, you're right, great, right, but right, we don't, right. this Clara Lynn, no. I have notes. <laughs> Clara Lynn. It just feels like I'm saying it wrong. Yeah. It does sound like you're trying to say Carolyn, but you're doing it wrong. Exactly. You know what I mean? Or like Clara. Clara Lynn. Clara Lynn. I can't say the last name either. So Lake says that this guy is, this guy, Ng, is going to my ex-wife's house. Her name is Clara Lynn. She lives in South San Francisco. Right. At one point, uh, Leonard Lake asked for a pen and paper. I believe the officers thought he might provide additional information regarding Paul Cosner, and they left him with the pen and paper and stepped out of the room. So then Gary Hopper gets down there. He's a detective. Yeah. 
And he's called down there to deal with all this. Yes. And when he gets into this interview room, this Leonard Lake guy is on the floor having convulsions. I mean, can I just say, like, why did they leave him alone? Like, he's like, they know, know that he, like, hopped bail on 17 charges. They give him a pen and paper and they walk out of the room. Well, what? I, I mean, I guess they, they probably locked the door. Well, you know, they like, probably. Well, I mean, like, they don't want him to kill himself, which he easily could do, like, well, with what he had on him. I have some news for you. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, so he's having these convulsions. They have no idea what's going on. So they have yeah. to, like, rush him to the ICU. He's in critical condition. And, and this doesn't make sense to anybody because everybody's like, oh, we just arrested this guy with the car and that missing guy, Paul. And everyone's like, great. When we get an interview, they're like, oh, no, no like he's on like life support. Right. Nobody can understand what happened. How did this happen? So they start searching him. Right. And they find a note. And the note says, dear Lynn, yeah. I love you. I forgive you. Freedom is better than all else. Tell Fern I'm sorry. Mom, Patty and all. I'm sorry for the trouble. Love, Leonard. Yeah. So what we learn is that Leonard Lake popped a cyanide pill that he was carrying. I'm like, who carries that around? I mean, he well, knows the state. He knew the state was coming. Because we've been seeing throughout this episode on like his video confession saying like this plan to like have these slaves is all going to be great Ugh. as long as they don't get caught. So he's got this like cyanide pill on him just in case he ever does get caught. Today's the day. Yeah. Can I tell you something that yeah. was kind of like, whoa, I Googled cyanide pills yeah. because I didn't know how to do that. I literally Googled and I'll show you the screenshot where to get a cyanide pill. And Google immediately gave me resources for help. That happens when you, like, in our line of work, you Google things sometimes. Yeah. And, like, it, it directs you to, like, suicide prevention yeah. helplines. Call 988 for yeah. a suicide and crisis helpline. But I was like, oh, Google, that is so nice. I just want to know where one gets <laughs> I'm it. I'm a because, podcaster. Because I'm trying to <laughs> yeah. throw shade at this horrible guy. I but I, I still don't know where you get a sign. Yeah, call. it's probably better. We shouldn't tell I should people. I should not know. <laughs> no, I don't want to tell anyone. But it was, I was just kind of like, oh, wow. Okay, yeah. great. Anyway. So anyway, it cuts back to Sister Sharon, and she's like, Lieutenant Al Sonoda from San Francisco PD called and told me one of the guys got away, and the other one, they've taken him to the hospital. What do you mean? What do you mean? What about Paul? And he said, we don't know anything yet. But we know it's Paul's car, so they send the car over to the lab or whatever to see what they can get from that. And blood was present. I mean, they say blood spatter is everywhere. And like a bullet hole in the visor over the passenger seat of the car. They're saying it's very clear that somebody shot from the back seat a person in the passenger seat in the front. Because there's also a bullet hole in the passenger door. Yeah. Right. But they still don't know what's going on. Like, was it Paul who was killed? Who did the killing? Where is Paul? Like, they don't really, they know a little bit more, but we still need a lot more And I'm like, is this like pre-DNA? Is there no blood we can get anywhere and run at least a blood test? So, but also in the car, they found like an electrical bill, like a utility bill for a yeah. house in a super, super, super remote area up in Northern California. Yeah. And the house, the bill was addressed to- To who? Clara Lynn. <laughs> What's her name? Clara, Clara Lynn Ballas. <laughs> the guy, the cyanide pill guy, yeah. his ex-wife. His ex-wife. So they think the Lynn from the letter is Clara Lynn. Yes. Too many L's. Hey, guess who's called back in? Irene, come on, Irene. <laughs> come on, Irene. And Tom. And Tom Irene are and back. Tom. They're called in. They go up to Clara Lynn's house. And remember, Irene had the Dubs family case, too, the yes. family who went missing. So yeah, she's yeah. working these two cases. Yeah, Irene's the one who took the serial numbers from, like, the missing equipment, yes. right? So they go up to Clara Lynn's house to interview her. And they're talking to Clara Lynn, and they're like, girl, look, the guy Leonard Lake, your ex-husband, said that, that his companion, Charles Ng, was coming to see you. Like, did you make contact with him? She denies seeing him or hearing from him. She's a steel trap. She doesn't know anything. This they, is a total dead end having and, this conversation. Right. Investigators told Clara Lynn that inside Paul's car, they found a utility bill with her name on it from a property in Wilseyville, California. Clara Lynn confirmed that she did have a cabin in Wilseyville where Leonard Lake and Charles Ang would stay from time to time. But she claimed she had never heard of Paul Costner 
and had no idea why Leonard Lake would have been driving his car. And she and Leonard Lake, the cyanide pill guy, they're divorced, but they were still really close, yet she also didn't know anything about him at the same time. It's yeah. like, which is it, Clara? Yeah. Pick a lane. <laughs> pick an L. Because Clara I don't, <laughs> first of all, pick an L. Then pick a lane, also with an L, too many L's. Clara, but she's like very helpful all of a sudden. Then she's like, you know what, I'll take you to the cabin. You'll now, never find it on your own, let me just take you up there. Now, I'm sure that's true, yeah. because this is the stuff of nightmares, but yeah. I also think she wanted to be there when they searched the place. For sure. So. Well, like, how much does she know? Do you know? She knows, I don't know how she couldn't know. Yeah, yeah. So, it's June 4th, 1985. Up we go. We're all going to search the cabin. I always think about these, like, that's like a five-hour drive, at least. Right. You know what I mean? Like, what is Clara Lynn and Irene talking about in the car? Not much. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think it's a lot of silence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a lot, like, a station that still yeah. plays stuff from the 70s on the radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More than a feeling. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. She's like, come on, Eileen. And Irene's <laughs> rolling her eyes. She's like, oh She's like, it's gosh. Irene, not Eileen. I know, oh and everyone's singing it to me. Do you know that band name is about drugs? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Did that song come out yet? It's 1985? Oh, man, who knows? Who cares? So let's go to the cabin. Um, we get there. There's a gate. And then like a really, really long dirt road. It's like a really yeah. long driveway that's like 300 yards. Yeah. Then you go up another hill and then there's a cabin on the left side. And then there's what they're calling a cement workshop on the right. And it really looks like a building made out of cinder blocks. Yes. Now, and- what's wild is that we see pictures from back then. We see the cabin today. That cinder block thing is gone. Yeah. It is not there. No, no, no. It's not there anymore. Yeah. So Clara Lynn is like, oh, that's a, that's a fallout shelter because Leonard Lake, the cyanide guy, he's a survivalist and he was traumatized in the Vietnam War and so now he's like waiting for doomsday. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, no, no, no. That's a kill room. That's one that's million a fucking percent a kill room. room. And like, it's like, shut up, Clara Lynn. Shut up, Clara Lynn. Shut up. Shut up. Because like you could yeah, the cinder block, It's the walls are real thick, and yeah. it's just like, I don't like it. And it's so close to the house. It also looks very shoddily made. It does not look like it would withstand the apocalypse. No, 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 no. You know? Um, but Clara Lynn gives them permission to look around the cabin. When we entered the cabin, on the wall, Inspector Eisman noticed that uh, there was a rack that contained TV and audiovisual equipment, VCR. And he said, hey, this looks like the... Stuff that San Francisco PD is looking for for the Dubs case. Irene, the mm-hmm. like the badass woman of it all, takes down the serial numbers, calls it in to see if it matches the serial numbers that she got from the equipment from the house. It's a match. It's a match. It's the Dubs' equipment. Like, oh my God. So now the cops are looking for Paul Cosner because we're here because of Paul Cosner's car. Yes. Right? So we're looking for Paul Cosner and or Charles Ng yes. to find out this guy's partner in crime, literally. And now the Dubs family is involved and the cops were not expecting this at all. Yeah. But like we were and Sharon was probably. Yeah. And suddenly they're looking around and they're like this is like a fucking murder cabin they see blood on the ceiling they see bullet holes in the floor and then like Irene tells Clara Lynn we're getting a search warrant for this property and like Clara Lynn becomes irate and insists on leaving because they search not just the cabin yeah but like the nightmare room yeah like the cinder the block fallout nightmare shelter room. thing yeah so yeah the structure was like made out of cinder block but they go in and they find this is like the nightmare and place. let me just say the cop like so the next day they come back with the search warrant they can go anywhere they want and they like, as they're opening the door to this cinder block fallout shelter, the fucking cop is like, I was too scared to go in there. Yeah. Like, you can feel the evil coming out. Even 100%. from the pit, watching the video of the picture, I can feel yes. the evil coming out Absolutely. of this place. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And like they say, it feels very small when you're inside it yes. because the cinder block was so thick. But also, they're saying when you open the door, like the interior space is much smaller than the footprint of the building. They're like, there's fucking hidden rooms here. And there is. And there like, is. There are. So they find like this panel, which leads to a door. Uh, and then they open that door. And then there's like another hidden space. Yeah. And that's even more cops are like, I'm out. I, I'm yeah, out. Yes, like, take yes. my fucking pension. It's not worth this. No, like, I'm not oh doing God. this. Are you kidding me? So this is the kind of shit you don't recover from no you know no, what no, i mean no. like you see this and you never like the yeah. air is different in uh-huh. there you know what i mean it's uh-huh. like it's you can like feel how evil it is we realized that there was a secondary room in there followed by a living area the living area had a sleeping bag survival magazines and books and some miscellaneous stored food the confined area had a, a separate door locked from the outside this hidden room in the back, it's a cell. It's a cell. That you put somebody in, there's no windows, there's no one can hear you scream, and you lock it from the outside. And in this cell, there's like a list of rules on the wall. Did you slow it down and read this thing? Yeah, I wrote down a bunch There's of a them. list of rules for the prisoner in the cell. I must always be ready to serve my master. I must Ugh. be cleaned, brushed, and made up with my cell neat. Like, oh he's calling it a cell. God. Don't speak unless spoken to. Unless in bed, I will not make eye contact. I'll always be looking down. I'm obedient. Never show my distress. I must always be quiet. Like, just absolutely vile, subservient shit. Uh. But also, the cell was being recorded. Yes, That's why they had that video equipment. Exactly. So they were filming at all times. And on the outside of the room, there's a board with 21 photos of women. Some of them are naked. Some of them are, like, barely dressed. And they're saying, like... When were these photos taken? Who are these women right. and where are they and now? And where are they? Like, yeah. it just gets worse and worse and yeah. worse because then they're searching the rest of the property and they find a trench. Like, they dug a trench. Like, the people living there dug a fucking trench and because yes. there was, like, a chair sticking out of it. And they're like, what is over here? It's wild because we see a map, right? We see, like, a map with the actual cabin where they live. And then we see, like, where the trench is behind the house. And it... At first, they make it sound like it's like a garbage pit. Like they're like throwing away household items there. Because it's like a mess, right? There's like household goods. They say papers, magazines, like a whole car windshield. Yes. They're like, what? Yeah. Lots of stuff in the trench. But then they find a human skull in the trench. A human skull. But then we see all these unbelievably unnecessary photos of actual human remains. Yeah. No. Like it is. I don't know why they would show it. It's mostly because it's disrespectful to the dead. Yeah. 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 Um, Because we don't know. We just heard that there's like these 21 photos of young women and we still don't know where Paul is. We don't know where the Dubs family is. Right. And this and it ends with this sort of like bump, bump, bump. Like, oh, my God, there's a skull and then all these horrible things. And so it just kind of leaves you reeling of like, where are we going going with this? Because these last five minutes, it got worse every second. Every time there was like a new information, it was just like, I don't know if I I needed this episode to end immediately. I I needed it to end. (laughs) Too much. Oh my God, fam. Uh, All right. Thank you for checking out episode one of Manifesto of a Serial Killer. All three episodes are available right now and ad-free on the Patreon at the $5 level. This story is crazy. It's a true wild mystery. I don't know how I've never heard of these two prolific serial killers. And it's very victim-based, which we love because it doesn't get into the salacious, like, just like shock value stuff. Like, we need to know about what happened, but it's all about the victims, which we appreciate. This one just had me screaming all the way through. This guy kept a video diary, which the cops found after the fact. Awful. It is absolutely wild and evil evil, and crazy and awful. So, patreon.com slash truecomeobsessed is where you can also find over 450 full ad-free bonus episodes. We're now doing drag bingo. We're, We're now doing, doing a, lo- a whole lot of classes. Things. 
It's a real fun place to like come together, meet other members of the fam. Yep. Uh, Patreon is where it's at. That's right. We'll and see you there. Yeah, we'll see you there. We love you. You don't even have to RSVP to show up. Yeah, we'll see you there. Okay, we'll see you there. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye.